welcome to Women Who Push the Limits. Are you ready to find your voice, speak your truth, and change the world? Then you'll be glad you joined us for this amazing conversation. So let's get right into today's episode. Here's your host, Lynn Murphy. Welcome, and thank you for joining us on Women Who Push the Limits podcast. I'm Lynn Murphy, your host, and the founder of the Women Who Push the Limits community and movement. This is where you'll find your voice, speak your truth, and change the world. This is where you'll hear interviews with amazing women who have had challenges and successes, and will share with you their inspiration for how you too can push the limits. I'm so excited to be kicking this off today with our very first episode. Thank you for being here. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. So now let's get right into our show with our very first woman who pushes the limits. Welcome to another episode of Women Who Push the Limits. I'm your host, Lynn Murphy, and I am delighted today to introduce you to a very, 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 very special guest, uh, state senator in Illinois. If you're from Illinois, you know her. If you're from Chicago, you know her. She's a lifelong resident of Chicago. Uh, senator Patricia Van Pelt, also known affectionately as Dr. Pat. And we will get into her amazing resume in just a minute. Let me welcome you. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Pat. I'm happy to be here, Lynn. Thank you for having me. Well, and I know you didn't start out with an easy life, and yet here you are today. You're a state senator. You're a real estate developer. You're an entrepreneur. You're an author. You've got a doctorate degree. You're a CPA. I understand that you got your bachelor's and your master's within 30 days of each other after dropping out of high school and having two children young and getting your GED, you've gone on to do amazing things. So tell us about those limits that you push. Well, I have come from a long ways off and I, I can't really tell my story without telling my mother's story because she has been the inspiration of my life. And unfortunately, because of the challenges we're having right now across the world, uh, she's not able to be here with us on this call. But uh, she was the one that inspired me. She, my mom had seven children. My dad had been in a terrible car accident. Uh, he could not work anymore. He had brain damage. And my mom only had a sixth grade education. Mm -hmm. So with that situation, with all the children she had, we were living uh, in K-Town in Chicago. And she couldn't pay the rent and buy food. So she had to make a decision. You know, either pay the rent or buy the food, right? So we ended up moving into the projects and the notorious project, Cabrini Green, which was one of the worst projects in the whole city. Uh, we moved there, she moved us there, and she started going to school, but she only had a sixth grade education. She got an elementary school diploma, she got a GED, and she went and got a college degree. She landed a good job at Cook County Hospital, got promoted to supervisor of her department, bought a home, and moved us all out of the projects in five years. She was in her mid-20s with seven children, Lynn. Seven oh. children. I don't know how she did it. I still say, Mom, how did you do it? <laughs> Dr. Pat, that is just an amazing story of someone who, who just pulled herself up and did what it took. Right. What do you and think was her, her mindset with that? Because I know you talk about mindset with your trainings. What was her mindset? Well, my mom lived in a different world than most people. She read a lot. So she was always a reader. And uh, she be just believed that she would travel the world and that, and that she, you know, that she could achieve the things she wanted to achieve. And when my dad had that terrible accident, that really kind of threw everything off because they, he was not only driving a cab at night, they were painting in the daytime. They had a painting 
company and they would paint houses in the daytime. But once he had that accident, she could no longer do that. And then she had him who had brain damage. And so she had to make a decision. Am I going to just stay here and just take care of my husband, my kids until we just run out of money? Or am I going to try something? Mm -hmm. And thank God for me, she tried something. I watched her. And I, it made me understand when I went through the challenges of my own life, how that, you know what, these things, I'm, I'm facing these things right now, but there is an answer. Mm. And I'm not defenseless. I just don't know what to do yet. And I have to continue to work toward my dream in order to see it come into fruition. And I did that. And um, my life completely changed. And, but I always reached back to her for that inspiration because anybody in their mid twenties with seven children, goes back to school and works and <laughs> brings herself to where she did in, in five short years. That's amazing. That is totally amazing. And I love what you said that you just didn't know how to do it yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key. It's not saying, I don't know how to do it. I'm a victim. Uh, one woman I interviewed said, don't be the victim of your history. Be the victor of your story. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so create that story. And I know that's what you've been doing all your life is creating your story. Yes. So, so tell us what that means to you to, to be pushing the limits and tell us more about those limits you've pushed. I know we had educational, economic, all those things, but we want to hear some of your story. Yeah, well, I have a very storied life. Um, in fact, when I ran for mayor in Chicago, back in 2010, I ran for mayor. I ran for mayor because the silence was so loud. The silence around what was happening in our communities was so loud that I felt that if I didn't say something, people would think that what we were going through, not being able to let our children play outside, not being able to walk to the store, you know, not having a uh, grocery store anywhere near our home, all those things that we were going through, struggling with unemployment right now, even now, uh, the unemployment rate, according to the University of Illinois, did a report that said age, black men aged 20 to 24 are 45%, have a 45% unemployment rate in Chicago in a place where it's booming, where jobs are everywhere. But yet, all of these challenges are facing us. And I felt like if I didn't say something, if somebody didn't say something that about what was really happening in our communities, that people would think that, what they, that they really didn't matter. And I felt I had a responsibility to do something about that. Well, in my past, I used to be a drug addict when I was young. When my mom worked in the daytime and went to school at night, me and my sisters, we, we all ended up using drugs. We ended up being on drugs, started using drugs when I was 11 years old, because when she would leave, we would leave, right? <laughs> so it come back before her, right? And um, so one of the one of the um, candidates, when I inquired about where she had been for the last 20 years and why we hadn't seen her in the community doing anything to try to solve some of the problems in our neighborhood, oh, she got really upset. She said, the reason why you don't know where I've been is because you've been on crack for 20 years. <laughs> she said, oh, and you've admitted to that. <laughs> so uh, that kind of like threw me for a loop. Uh, because I had gone through the challenge in my life. I, by then, I had a PhD. I was a certified public accountant. I mean, I was a drug addict when I was in my teens. I got actually made my peace with God at 21. So it had been over 30, you know, 35 years since that had happened. But um, sometimes when people bring up something about you to try to pull you down, it's exactly what boosts you up. And that's what happened to me. That's how I ended up with the Senate seat. 
because nobody knew me. I mean, I would have just been a blurb, you know, and I also ran, she also ran. That's all it would have said about me. But because she did that, it really, really spoke out about me like that. And, and, and actually, I had never used crack, but that doesn't matter. But anyway, I used different drug. It wasn't crack. But, uh, <laughs> but since she did that, my name in the, you know, people knew about me all over, even different parts of the world, because she had originally been an ambassador a U.S. ambassador to New, New Zealand. So, so even in New Zealand, they knew about their former <laughs> ambassador saying this to this lady, right? So mm -hmm. my name recognition went higher than any other candidate in the race. So that happened right at the end of the mayor's race. The next day, my state senator quit, the day after the mayor's race. Oh. And, he, and so I ran for that seat. And it, they had, a, they had a, the Democratic Party had put someone in the seat. Uh, they placed her there. And then so they were funding her over half a million dollars because uh, I was running against her and I beat her. I beat her and I got the seat and I've been there seven years. Now that would not have happened had she not brought up my past. And my past wouldn't have happened had my mom not been trying to get us out <laughs> of the projects and leaving us by ourselves, right? So everything, I see everything, Lynn, as part of the solution in our lives. Everything I've gone through in the past I see it as part of my power source. I look at it as my ammunition dump. When I get ready, when I'm going through something really hard, I just go back in my past and say, I remember when, right? When I was here and there was no way out and there was nothing I could do and the walls were caving in and yet I came out. How did I come out? Because something always comes forth to help bring the deliverance that we need and the challenges we need. I believe that. So I've used it all my life. I use that all my life. In fact, I call it Dr. Pat's rule, R-U-L-E, and it's an acronym for remember to use your lived experiences. <laughs> remember to use your lived experiences. That is your power source that most people feel is useless. They don't want to think about what they've been through. They don't want to think about the, the, the horrible things they suffered, not realizing through those things right there re reveal the power that you had back then. And now you're even stronger than ever before. And if you're stronger than ever before right now, you need to remember to use those lived experiences. <laughs> That's Dr. Pat's rule. <laughs> well, and to look back on that and to see what you've overcome, because so often... I don't know if it's just women, but it seems like, for me anyway, I keep looking, what's next, what's next? Okay, check that off the list and let's go on to see what's next. And I've had a coach for years who, bless her heart, she, when I'm struggling with something, she takes me back. She says, okay, look at how you handled this in this situation, so ever many years or months or whatever it was ago. And then look how you're handling it now and look what you've learned and look how you're doing that. And I kind of, you know, because I don't stop to look at that. And so I love your Dr. Pat's rule. You yeah. take all those things. It gives you that strength, doesn't it, to see mm -hmm. that you've overcome that? Right. You know what? Whenever you're in a war, the, the enemy is always trying to get to your ammunition dump. They're trying to get to your ammunition dump because if they can destroy that, they know it's only so far you can go with the ammunition you have. And to me, my past is my ammunition dump. It's, it's the thing that I can go back to and get more reinforcements. When I feel like I can't, you know, I can't make it, I can go back to that past and say, yes, you can, because you did it before. <laughs> and I know you're helping so many people. And it seems to me that you can identify with a lot of the people you're helping. I know you've done community development work. Mm -hmm. You've got nonprofit organizations you work with, organizations that you've built. Tell us what motivated you to start helping other people. 
Well, when I got into church when I was 21, I loved God. I love, I still love God. And I, I, I preached and I would travel around the world with my pastor and we, we start churches. I was also had started this nonprofit organization just to do some redevelopment of our commercial corridors. That's all I was trying to do. I had no intention of getting into social movements or uh, all this justice work and policy work and mobilizing people. I had no intention of doing it. All I had in my mind was that we're going to rehab these, renovate, uh, redevelop our commercial corridors. And that's what I formed the company for. Where it turns out that uh, some of the people who we thought were leaders in the community were actually misleaders. And then it became clear to me why our community was in the state that it was, it was in because of the number of misleaders that were out front that made people think that they were doing what the community needed when in reality they was trying to line their own pockets. Mm -hmm. So it made me pull back from that and begin to think about how do I empower people? Because you can't just point to somebody who is uh, a, a significant person in the community and tell everybody, oh, he's no good because they're not going to leave you, right? <laughs> so you that image, right? Right, the image is there. They, of course, he's a great person. Who are you, anyway? Uh, so I realized I needed to organize people, and I started organizing people and, and, and making sure people became aware of what was going on so they can come to their own conclusion about what was going on. And mm -hmm. in the process of that, we start growing. My company organization started growing. And then it became clear to me that some of the things that my, my peers were working on uh, I didn't understand why they ended up on one side of the uh, fence or the other. How do you decide whether charter schools are good or charter schools are bad? How do you decide if this new law is good or this new law is bad? I mean, how do you decide how you mobilize around it? And so they told me, they said, you just knock on doors and talk to people and whatever they say, that's what you do. But what if the people don't have all the information? Then are you then having people march on just going to create something create some op, some issues that are really worth make them worse off than they are because you haven't taken the time to research it so that's what made me go back to school to get my phd i said i got to find the truth i said because i can't mobilize people i don't want to mobilize people around different issues without knowing the whole story and so i started studying social movements what makes them work and what makes them fail and uh, how and to what extent uh, social movement organizers use research to inform a course of action. I started studying all that, trying to learn how do we really grasp this thing and help people, really help people in a way that they haven't been helped in the past. And that's how I got to, to where I am now. <laughs> it pushed me in. Uh, and I was able to lead and, and know that what I was sharing was grounded in real sources, not some bot on the internet, pouring out this stuff, some prolific type of, what is it, run-of-mill kind of system, running this stuff out to everybody. Um, I, I knew it wasn't that. I knew how to find the, the sources, the authentic sources, to bring the true information to the, to the floor so that people can make real decisions. So it's powerful. Well, and that must really influence what the work that you're doing in the General Assembly. Yes, it does, because I'm able to talk about things that they don't know anything about, because mm -hmm. first of all, they haven't been there. They haven't experienced it. I, I, I ran for office because I wanted to bring the voice of ordinary people into government. I was tired of hearing the, the, uh, the story that was told from the perspective of the people who are trying to influence the legislation to help the others. I wanted to figure out how do the others speak for themselves in an authentic voice and bring that to the table of government. And that's what I, I work to do. And that's one reason why I'm not staying too. 
Um, I'm, I've been, I'll be there 10 years. When this term is over, it'll be 10 years and it'll probably be the end for me. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. That's what I see. And the reason why is because it costs so much to stay in office. And the reason why people lose their authentic voice is because they are funded. They have to be funded. Like the lady who I ran against, they gave her half a million dollars to uh, because I was running against her. She didn't pay that money out of her pocket. And those people who give, gave her the $500,000, half a million dollars, they want something in return. And that mm -hmm. is your vote, right? So mm -hmm. I'm not going to ever be in that position. So for that reason, I'm likely going to, this probably is going to be my last term. We'll see. So then what's next after that? Well, I am working now on helping people to realize their dreams, to get the power that they need to be able to walk in their purpose, uh, expanding mindset. You know, Waldo Emerson said, the human mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. The human mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. So right now, that's what I'm doing. I'm helping to stretch people's mind so that we can advance civilization. I just believe that everything is being... Uh, advanced except for us as human beings, right? That we need to be advanced as well. And this, not just the technology, not just medicine, you know, but also us, our thinking, our ability, our capacity to do things that we can't do right now only because we don't know we can, right? And so I'm pushing, I'm pushing the limits. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, thank goodness you're there pushing those limits because there are a lot of people who are pushing the other direction and trying to close things down and Trying to get people to just believe whatever they read, like you're saying, the bots. So, right. right. In fact, I have a course called the, the Guardians of Mediocrity and Why We Must Defeat Them. I've been uh, teaching that for the last uh, month or so, the Guardians of Mediocrity and Why We Must Defeat Them. Because the Guardians of Mediocrity is not that they're really bad. They just want people to stay mediocre. But some of us have something inside of us that we, we just can't stay mediocre. And we have to realize that the reason why we feel pressured to stay mediocre is because there are things in place to keep you there. I remember being in third grade when they were teaching us. Um, I remember the exact word the teacher had on the board. It was notice. That was the word. I was eight years old. That was over 50 years ago. And I remember it like yesterday. She put the word notice on the board and she was asking the students, what is this word? And they were raising their hand. Raising, I was raising my hand because I knew what that word, I knew how to pronounce it. And she would go from one to the next one to the next one to the next one. None of them could say it. Then finally somebody ended up getting it right, you know. And so I was like, wow. So then she put another word on the table. And this one was like uh, maybe motion or something like that. And then the same thing over again. Everybody's raising their hand, raising their hand. And say, I'm, I'm saying to myself, and she, then she kept on saying, notice, 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 motion, motion. Mo I'm like, how many times are you going to say that? Right? Can, can you just move on? I mean, it was so slow. It was so mm -hmm. slow. The, the way they were teaching us that it just, I just unplugged. And that's one reason why by the time I got to eighth grade, I wasn't even going to school anymore. First of all, my mom was gone all the time, right? So, and then I didn't have to go, so I didn't. And then when I, by the time I got to ninth grade, I just took gym. That's the only class I ever took uh, and never took any more. And the reason why is because it was all about keeping everybody at, at the same level. I don't care how advanced you were, they were gonna mold you in with everybody else. And that's the guardians of mediocrity. They're not teaching us how to think. They're teaching us how to remember and recite. Remember and recite, not think. And so they didn't give us a chance to think until I got to my PhD when they said, okay, now you take all these people's ideas and you come up with your own, right? But by then I come on a PhD, right? <laughs> 
So they, in, in those years in school, they didn't recognize your brilliance. They didn't recognize that challenging you could have expanded your horizons. Right, I was living in Cabrini Green, so they're probably just trying to get in and get out without getting shot. So <laughs> that's part of what the teachers were doing because they weren't from there. <laughs> they weren't from there? Yeah. No, no, the teachers weren't from Cabrini Green. It was a project. It was a place where poor people lived. Yeah. So a lot of violence going on there. So what, did they just cross that off and say, well, those kids are never going to amount to anything, so why bother educating them? Or what was the, the I thinking? think it was just the mode of teaching at that point. It was just really rote memory. That's it. Mm -hmm. I was in third grade. They want you to memorize things so you can take that to the next level. And then it's just really memorizing and reciting. You, you read, you memorize, and you recite. If you can't memorize things, then you got a problem because you're not going to pass any tests, right? And then say you have bad score because you can't, you know, your grade is low because you, you can't pass tests. In reality, that's what they're saying is you can't memorize what we just told you. <laughs> How did you recognize that there was something inside you that wanted more? What was, was there a catalyst? Was it always there? What was it that got you to, to move forward and say, forget the drugs, I'm doing something with my life? What was that? Well, I remember when I was 10 years old that I just felt like it had to be more to life than it, than it was. And, it, and I just, I was looking for something. I was searching, like there's got to be more to this. And I, and I said, if this is all to life, then life was a joke. That's at 10, I remember saying it, thinking, and I was, I was, I was watching television and they had Father Knows Best and by the light of the silvery moon, everybody on TV was Caucasian. It was all, everything was clean and pretty and everybody was happy. They were singing and dancing. And then and where I lived at was completely different. Everything was dirty, trashy, shootings, killings. Everybody was black, you know? So I said, how do these two worlds exist? I'd being 10 years old, I didn't know how the two worlds exist. I didn't understand that what they were projecting on television was not necessarily the reality for the vast majority of people, right? And you started so I, noticing, right? Just like that teacher said, you started noticing. <laughs> yeah, that word notice, right? And so from that point, I was searching. That's probably one reason why not having any real guidance at home, that's probably mm -hmm. what led me, allowed me to go into drugs because I'm searching, trying to find what it is that I, what's real, you know? And then on top of it, the, the TV shows that was coming out there, what are uh, movies that were coming out then was Superfly, right? And oh, Shaft yeah. and all these black superstars and it made us want to be like them. They were using drugs and they had guns and we just, you know, we have no guidance, right? <laughs> no guidance, nobody to say, this is not the right way. So what, that's the way I went, right? But I, Constantly, even when I got on drugs, uh, I didn't realize I was a drug addict until I was 19. Um, I had been using drugs since I was 11, but at, when I was 19, I came to a point where I couldn't get drugs. That's when I realized that, you know what, you're addicted. And uh, for three years, I struggled. And the reason why is because, and, and I probably would just kept using drugs if I could have just kept getting them without ever having a point when I, when I couldn't get them because I wouldn't have never known I was addicted. What made me want to get off drugs was the fact that I knew I found out I was addicted. And I never intended for my life to be like that. I always said, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to send money back and I'm going to help the poor. I'm, I'm going to help the poor. That was my mindset. But here I was in a point where I couldn't even help myself. 
I have these babies. I, I, I don't have time for them. I don't even want them. And I'm on drugs. I'm a high school dropout. Um, you know, I'm, I'm homeless because basically I'm just roaming from place to place. Uh, all these things was, was going on, unemployed. Who, I mean, I, I, I got to that point, I'm looking at myself, unemployed, unwed mother, drug addict, high school dropout, what, homeless, where are you going? Nowhere but up from there, right? <laughs> or down, <laughs> straight down. Straight and I looked in the mirror that day, looked at myself, and I said, you're going to die. That's what I told myself. I said, you're going to die. If you don't get off this road, you are going to die. That's what I said to myself. And I got to church about four hours late. And it was a Pentecostal church. And believe me, they were still preaching. <laughs> four hours later, I wanted to fulfill my mission in my life, which I felt was to help other people. I felt I was supposed to help people. And there I was in no condition to even help myself. Mm. I came to the end of myself. And I had been working in the steel mills and in the steel mills, every time a machine would break, they would call the maintenance man. And if the maintenance man couldn't fix it, they would send a part out to the manufacturer and the machine would always come back and it would always work again. It was never a machine that couldn't be fixed. Mm -hmm. It just, it needed a part from the manufacturer. So I started thinking, cause I didn't have a relationship with God. We weren't in church. We didn't grow up in church. We grew up, we went to Catholic church, but they were speaking Latin. So we didn't know what they were saying. So. <laughs> didn't know anything right uh, but so I started thinking who is my manufacturer and I said mm -hmm. well I, I think God made me so I'm missing some parts I'm broke I need him to help me so I, that's what made me think that maybe I should go to church and see if I can find him yeah I didn't even know that he was there I thought we would send a message to him through somebody I didn't even have any kind of inkling of anything about God or relationship to Jesus, nobody, because if nobody tells you, you don't know that, right? It's so interesting how you had that image from the manufacturing, you know, that there's a manufacturer and that there are parts that can be replaced. Right. And I knew that I was broke. That was brilliant. <laughs> and then I need to be fixed. And I figured he can do it. I just need to reach him. But how do I reach him? Let me go to church. And I just thought it would take a long time, two weeks or so, to get an answer back. <laughs> but that's how long the parts were gone. When they sent out to get the parts, it took about two weeks, right? So I'm thinking, well, probably two weeks. I couldn't believe what happened to me that day. I had a power encounter. I mean, I had an I had a um, experience that I I, I, I couldn't explain. Um, something happened to me that just kind of like I became it became clear to me that I had gone about my life in the wrong way. And it wasn't from the preaching, because um, I really wasn't really listening to him. I was looking at the people. They was, you know, Pentecostal people, they run around, they jump up and scream and all that stuff. I'm like, what in the world is wrong with these people, right? <laughs> but my, my cousin told me, when, when they got ready to pray for everybody, she said, you need to go up there and get prayer. She said, don't you need something from God? I said, yeah, I need something from him. She said, well, go up there and let him pray for you. And then when I got up in the line, I just noticed that everybody he prayed for was falling on the floor. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I went back to my seat. I said, girl, I'm folks up there dying. I'm not going up there. How <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> she told me, she said, they're not dying, girl. They're just weak. That's why they fall out. You ain't going to fall out because you're strong, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm strong. Let me go up there. Yeah. <laughs> and I went up there and I told the man, I said, he said, what do you need from God? I said, I'm a drug addict and I want to be free. I thought he was going to be shocked, right? He said, are you on heroin? I said, no, cocaine. He rolled up his sleeves and showed me tracks on his arms. 
that he had been shooting drugs for years and how he had cut his wrists and tried to kill himself. He showed me on both his arms where he had cut his wrists and all the tracks on his arms. He said, I was on drugs. He said, and I tried, I tried to kill myself because I, I couldn't get off. He said, but God delivered me. And today he's going to deliver you. That's what he said. And he prayed for me. And my life went before me in seconds. And all of a sudden, I knew that the way I had lived was wrong. And I had no idea that anything was wrong with what I was, what I was living, right? I, I, I knew that the drug abuse, the, the lying, the stealing, the cheating, all the things I did was wrong. And I just fell on the floor and I was saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And just the weight of it just drove me down to the floor. And when I came to and realized I was on the floor, oh my God, I was just trying to get out of there. I was like, I got up and I was like, oh my God, I'm on the floor. I didn't... So I was trying to get my babies and get out of here. Get my son, I want to get out of here. And they were like, no, 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 just say thank you, Jesus. You know, so went through that process and came out of there and never needed drugs again. Went home. I just didn't even like know. Yeah, I didn't even know it happened. I didn't know what happened. You know, I had no idea. I had never experienced it, never heard of anything like that. And Catholic Church, they never talked about it. And when they were talking, they were speaking in Latin. So, <laughs> right, right? so I, I get home and, and I'm trying to get back to normal. I'm feeling different. And my sisters and them are there. And my mom is there. And, oh, they told me you got saved. Oh, we're so happy. I, I said, I'm not saved. They said, they said, you fell on the floor. I said, I did not fall on the floor. I said, them doggone church liars. I'm sick of them. So I sat down in the living room because I didn't know what had happened to me. So I was, I was going to explain it to them. I didn't even know, right? And I had some marijuana and I smoked some marijuana in the front room. I never did that. I used to smoke in the basement because I wanted to respect my mom. But I, front room, I was smoking, just smoking, smoking. I smoked three joints, did not get high. Did not get high. And I'm trying to figure out what is going on, right? And so I just went to bed. And the next morning when I woke up, because every morning when I wake up, I would think about how I'm going to get high today. Because I was spending $1,000 a week, and that was in the 70s. Oh, my goodness. And I was, that was the first thing that came to my mind. How do you get high? I woke up that morning, and I reached for that, and it was gone. And I, I was like, what's going on? I don't, I don't want drugs anymore. And I just heard in my, my mind, say, you don't need drugs anymore. I sat up in my bed, and I said, I don't need drugs anymore. And I went upstairs and told my mom, I don't need drugs anymore. She said, that's good. And I, and I said, wow. Then I start calling people, telling them, I didn't need drugs anymore. I called my friends, my cousins. I don't need drugs anymore. I went to church last night. I called my job. I said, I don't need drugs anymore. I went to church last night. And they said, Patricia, are you okay? <laughs> I said, yes, I don't need drugs anymore. They said, well, you know what? You need to see the nurse before you start today. <laughs> I guess the part that I went crazy, right? Because <laughs> they even knew I was addicted because I told them. You know, so they, they thought had, you were on something new, right? <laughs> right. They thought I had, you know, probably finally fell off the <laughs> deep end of my brain, right? And I told them, I don't need to talk to the nurse today. I talked to God. That's what I told them. They said, when well, you come and see the nurse, when I got there, they had the guard at the door waiting to <laughs> escort me straight to the nurse. <laughs> they escort me straight to the nurse. And they did. And they, I was fine. And everything just changed. And I was 21 years old. And I had a brand new life. And ever since then, I've been... I've been really trying, first of all, trying to learn who I am and the power I have and engaging with other people and how I can move people, help people move forward in life, you know, actually to advance civilization. That's what I want to do. I want to be able to help solve a world problem, not the world's problems, but a world problem. 
And I think I know what it is. I think that world problem is the fact that we as people, human beings need to advance. And we're only gonna advance by expanding our mind. And our mind is only gonna be expanded by intervention or power encounter, some kind of crisis will make us move from where we are to where we need to be. And that's what I'm, I'm working on. Boy, that is a very lofty goal. And I'm sure you're gonna achieve that. Well, when I look at my past, Lynn, and go back there and look at my past, I said, surely I'm gonna achieve that. <laughs> Well, and what's interesting to me is that it was such an instantaneous change for you. Like you said, you had a power download. I mean, something all of a sudden changed you on a cellular level, right. changed everything physically, mentally, emotionally, just like that. My desires changed everything. What a powerful experience that is. <laughs> and to be able to share that with others, Dr. Pat, wow. <laughs> uh, what, tell us about what happens when you share that. How do people respond to that? What have you been able to do? Well, because I've had that experience, which is a real, like you said, on a cellular level experience, I'm able to relate with people, relate to people in a way that I think that they see me as being authentic. Um, because I'm not ashamed of where I came from mm -hmm. and I'm not ashamed of where I'm going. So <laughs> I'm not even, I'm not afraid of it either. I'm not afraid of the past. I'm not afraid of the future because of the experiences I've had. I've have, I haven't always been unafraid of the future. I had times when I was afraid of the future, but I don't have that anymore because I, I look back at my past and I realized, girl, it's nothing you can't do. And I look at my mother and I'm like, see, there's proof. And then I look at the Wright brothers who created an airplane, <laughs> like out of what? <laughs> they didn't get any airplane parts from outer space. No, they used whatever was here, right? and made an airplane and men flew. When I look at that kind of thing, I know that whatever we can conceive in our mind, we can actually create. Mm -hmm. and, and that the original purpose of thought, Lynn, the original purpose of thought is creation. Oh yeah. It's creation, that's to the original purpose of it. When we spend time thinking, we create. And when we don't allow ourselves to think, then our mind just runs amok and our life runs amok. It runs amok. Right great lesson and, and thinking back to the time when you were in a comfort zone and, and fearful afraid of getting out of that comfort zone what would you tell people about how to get past that because I think so many of us are just locked in okay you know this is my comfort zone and I'm not getting out of the box and this is where I am how can you help people with that well I think what helped me to um, come out was the needs of people around me that I I just felt like I had to help. I just couldn't just silently sit by. Maybe I don't know the answer. Maybe I don't know the solution, but I, I have to try. I have to figure out how to reach out beyond what I see as my parameters in my life to be able to help people um, than in other places. And I think that really, when I ran for mayor, it really opened it up to me because originally I was, you know, I was in the sanctified church, still part of that. Um, but I, I just saw the world as being just that world and just, you know, cause I, we would travel and we start churches and we have churches in Africa, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Jamaica, Indiana, Michigan. I went to all those places with my pastor as an evangelist. I was an evangelist. He's an, an apostle and we would start churches from scratch with one person knocking on doors, start one person and build a whole church. And my whole world was in that space. But when I ran for mayor, it became clear to me that the world that God cares about is far bigger than that space. He cares about all these people. And I'm zeroing in on a few thinking I'm doing, you know, the best thing in the world. And in reality, 
people all over the world need help. And it's not always that they need the gospel preached to them. They need help. They need somebody to help them to think, to, to come out from where they are, to be able to, to make it to the next level. That's the whole thing about Dr. Pat's rule. That's about opening doors for people to be able to you remember that that's not useless what you went through. That's not something to be dis a disgrace that you've been through, something to be disappointed about. That's your power source. That's your ammunition dump. Don't you let the enemy steal that. <laughs> Well, those things are stepping stones, you know, instead of obstacles, we look at those as stepping stones. You use right. those, which is just what you're saying you've done. Yes, absolutely. So beautifully. Um, what about taking risks? How do you do that? Because it seems like you've taken lots of risks. Running right. from fire was a risk, right? It, that was the biggest risk. That was the most profound. Well, it's not the most profound thing, but it was the most challenging experience that I ever had. Um, but I'm gonna tell you the most profound, I'm gonna come back to that though. The okay. most profound experience I ever had was my daughter, um, she was in a plane crash and mm. she passed. She was, um, she was such a sweet child, loving, loving, loving child. She was my youngest. Mm. And uh, she really loved me, probably more than I loved her. And I'm not ashamed to say that, but. She really gave her heart out to me and to other people. She really cared about people. She wanted to fly. She really wanted to fly. I was not paying for her any flight lessons because I was like, you don't drive. She wouldn't drive. So I said, you don't need to fly if you won't drive. She said, no, because mom, I'm, I'm going to have an accident if I drive. And I said, girl, please, you, you hind it where you're going to fly. And then, you know, and, 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 uh, and lo and behold, she dies in a plane crash. She has a crash in the sky, right? <laughs> so, um, but her passing that really woke me, woke up something inside of me that if I really believed what I preached about, what I taught, what I shared, then what happened to her was not the worst thing in the world. It was part of life, the fact that she passed and that she went on to the next level um, of life, whatever it is, I don't know, because I've never been there, right? I'm here, mm -hmm. but I have faith that what God said is true. So I, that was the most profound experience I had because that was the first time someone had passed that I knew. So mm -hmm. uh, it made me really come face to face with what is truth and what do you really believe? Mm -hmm. And when I came face to face with that, um, it, it empowered me. Her passing empowered me because now all of a sudden I knew someone who had been in this world, who I loved, touched, and felt first time. I, you know, this has ever happened to me because I didn't know anybody at past besides my grandmother. And I really didn't, you know, it wasn't like I was with her all the time. Um, and that person passed. And yet I felt that she was alive. I, I still felt, I still feel her presence even now um, that, that she's alive and that she's inside of me, part of me, part of me is her. She is part of me. So that, that probably was the most profound experience I had now, the most challenging experience I had, which, and that made me push the boundaries with my daughter because it, was, it wasn't just like, okay, you go to the funeral, your daughter passed, oh my God, it's the worst thing. No, I go to the funeral and I celebrate. And I celebrate because she's where I am going to be. And she went there first. And it's not a funeral, it's a, it's a graduation. She graduated to the next level. 
Why? Because that's what the Bible says. So that's what, and that's what I believe. I came to church. I had no idea who God was. He came and had, he, he did a job on me. Okay. He made me know I'm real. Okay. <laughs> just mean, like that. <laughs> just like that, right? I came out there not needing drugs, didn't want to smoke, didn't want anything. I just wanted to find who did this to me, who did it and how can I reach him again, right? That's the only thing I wanted. So I knew he was real. So if he's real, his word must be real. Yeah. And if he said, if a man die, he should live again, you know, uh, I have to believe that. I have to believe there's something called eternity and that we live in an eternity. And, and that I, uh, if someone passes from this life, it doesn't mean that they've disappeared. Because yeah. uh, that's how I felt originally, like she might have just, well, how do you just disappear? You know, how does a life form disappear? It doesn't really. It's just that it takes on a different form. So that was testing your beliefs and making you live your beliefs, wasn't it? Right. And it pushed me. It really pushed yeah. me beyond the boundaries. And I had to ask my pastor, I said, am I okay? I mean, because I'm thinking, am I going crazy or something? Because I didn't know anybody who responded to death like that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, am I okay? I mean, this is what I really believe. Mm -hmm. I believe this. And I just want to, but I, want, I don't want to be going crazy, right, and not know it. <laughs> so he told me, no, you're not going crazy. <laughs> you're not going crazy. He said, you know, you just got faith. You just got faith what most people don't have. <laughs> it's all a unique experience. Everybody responds differently. So what That's a beautiful good. way. And, and that you still feel her. Mm -hmm. I believe a lot of what you're saying, too. Is that same <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Yes. yes. Still feel my parents around, even though they've been gone That's for a long time. So That yeah. is a blessing. Everybody doesn't have that, man. Yeah. Some people feel a sense of loss, tremendous loss. And they yeah. have four years. I didn't have that. And I'm just grateful. And I wish everybody could experience what I experienced when I when my daughter passed. I don't even feel like I lost her. Mm -hmm. you know, I just think she passed to the next level, whatever that is. <laughs> that, whatever form that is. I don't know. She changed forms, right? Yeah. Like just like anything else, energy. Uh, we all yeah. energy. And energy doesn't die. Yeah, so we die. <laughs> right. what I believe too. It's all energy. It's just taking different forms. So right, right. Yeah, isn't that wonderful. But the most challenging uh, experience I had that really made me push the boundaries was running for mayor, because mm -hmm. that's when I was forced to come out of my my tiny little world of just sanctified people being God's people. I had to come out of that, because now I was saying I was going to represent everybody. And if I was going to represent everybody, that means I had to get these parameters out of my mind about what's important and who is important, you know, what's important and what is important to do now in order to help the people. When I thought about helping the church, I would call a fast. We would go in a shut-in. I would do an all-night prayer. I would take people, you know, I would pray with people. I would go to their houses and, and, and pray with them at their houses, help them fill out paperwork so they can get the things they need. I would work with those people because they were trying. They were God's people. It, but when I ran for mayor, it became clear to me that my vision for what was God's people was very narrow, much far narrower than his, because he saw them all as his people, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and I had to either accept that or, or let it go. So it really pushed me outside. I remember having a meeting with the transvestites. Uh, they, he had a, they had a, when I was running for mayor, so you come in there, you know, they do these, uh, these debates or questions where they, they call you in, they question you, and they were asking me how to get their voice out, how to get their, you know, how they have a transvestite day, but that's it, you know. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, really, Patricia, <laughs> you can't really tell transvestites how to get power. 
yes, I am. <laughs> so because you know what, I got to represent everybody. And mm -hmm. I start talking to them about organizing and what it meant to organize when people have, a, when, like when, if a social movement is going to happen, people are going to have a collective understanding. There's three things that's going to happen. They're going to have a collective understanding uh, of the problem and the solution. They, they're all going to just understand that, that this is the problem and this is the solution. They're going to have a mobilizing unit or a group of people that are ready to share values already that can mobilize around this issue. And then number three, they're going to have a political opportunity, a crack in the, in the, in the wall. And it, something that lets them get in. Like uh, if somebody's running, like in the Democratic Party, like what, what's happening with, um, with um, Senator Bernie Sanders. He has mm -hmm. a crack in the system. Uh, they need him. Bern, Bernie Sanders knew what was going to happen, but he had an opportunity because he had a group of people that were mobilized already with the same idea about what needs to happen. So they were able to get some of their ideas on the platform. Mm -hmm. So that's what it takes to be able to really, um, to really move um, an agenda. And so that's what I taught them. I taught them. I said, you standing here, you know, arguing and complaining about nobody's recognizing you means nothing to nobody, right? You got to organize people. You got to get people together. You got to talk to them. You got to share the ideas. Share, you got to do the hard work of building that knowledge. And then you got to be prepared for a political opportunity. When a crack, just a crack in the wall, you got to be ready to go in there. You can't go and organize then. It's too late, right? <laughs> got to be ready to, to take that opportunity. That's right. And that's the way we all have to do it. And I had to, you know, I had to think, am I going to teach them this? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> What do you tell people about negativity? You talked about your opponent in the mayoral race who was slinging mud big time for you. What happens when, or how do you deal with that kind of negativity coming at you? Well, you know, we, you have to grow through it. That's the thing. You grow through it. You can't, you can't control everything. You don't know what everybody is going to do, but you can. One, one thing you can control is how you respond to it. And so when she did that, it was so profound that somebody would say something like that on TV, right? <laughs> In front of the cameras. Uh, and you see, I did not respond to her. And even when I got a chance to speak again, um, I did not, I just didn't even say anything about her. I just left her alone. Because the reason why is because if I had responded to her the way she responded to me, we would have looked like yeah. two fools, right? Mm -hmm. If they, if you argue with a fool, you look like a fool, right? Yeah. And they say there can be a lot of fools in the room, but the one with the mic, everybody going to know that's a fool, right? So, so when my turn to get the mic again, I did not say anything I did about her. I just went on for it. But I told them they were wrong for letting her res respond like that to me and not giving me a chance, an opportunity to defend my character, right? And they Because they didn't. So it was good, though. Worked out. Well, but what a mature way to handle it because it'd be so easy to get down in the dirt with something like that, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. But, you know, like I said, you learn. You don't even know what will come out of you until you face some certain crises. But you have to try your best to be prepared for yeah. by trying to build up your own character yourself and, and trying to show compassion and empathy for people so yeah. that when you're face-to-face -face with something like that, that the right answer will come out. Yeah. Well, with Dr. Pat, with everything you've done, an amazing life story that you've got, how would you describe your driving force? Well, I would say my driving force describe that it, it is invisible. Um, it is powerful. It is um, perpetual. It never stops. <laughs> it's, just, it's just in me. It's like an unction that keeps coming up. Um, because I have to push forward. I'm constantly 
constantly having to leave people and friends behind. And the reason why is because I'm trying to reach a level that I don't even know what it is. Um, I, I remember um, reading a, um, a quote by J.R.R. Tolkien. He's the um, mm. author of uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. He said, not all those that wander are lost. Not all those that wander are lost. And when you look in a dictionary at a wanderer, it looks like the person who said a wanderer is a person that uh, travels aimlessly, uh, a rootless wanderer. So they see them as, you know, the, uh, as I so-called often call them, the guardians of mediocrity say, no, you shouldn't be wandering. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're wandering, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you're aimless, you're a rootless, you know. Um, but I'm constantly wandering and reaching for more because there's something in me that drives me there. Yeah. To, to try to be able to help, to try to be able to bring something to the table that people don't have so they can be free. Because I know there's so much in us and the solution to all of our problems is in, a, is in society. We just got to rise. <laughs> we got to rise to our purpose in order to be able to see that reality, that, that those ideals, those things, the ideals and the ideas that's in us come to the forefront. We got to see that. That's going to happen when we rise. Well, and thank goodness you're such a catalyst for that. Um, but you're talking about leaving people behind. Yeah. So many people, you know, stick with that same group. And even when the group's pulling them down, what right. the author talks about, you know, we are the accumulation of the five people we hang around with the most. I'm yeah. paraphrasing that. But how do you do that? How do you decide who you're going to leave behind and when you're going to do that and how you're going to do that? Well, with every group, I'm trying to learn. And once I learn what they have, I just, I just get pulled away. And it's not, I, it's not that I intentionally say, okay, as soon as I get all the knowledge I can from you, I'm leaving. That's not how it goes. It just, I just, I just pulled away. And I, and I, I don't know, I just can't explain it. I, it's, just, it's inside of me. It's something that's inside of me that keeps pulling me higher and higher to be around a different level of person to help me get to the next level that I have to get to. Mm -hmm. It's the place that I'm trying to get to. And I'm going to travel, I guess, until I get there. I'd be like J.R.R. Tolkien said, not all wanderers are lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think sometimes you just know. And I can think of that in my own life, too groups of people or organizations or that type of thing. I, sometimes I feel like I've done all I can do here and they need different leadership or they need different people involved and it's time for me to go do something else. Right, if you're bold enough to do it, it's be better off, they'll be better off. Yeah. And the people that you could, next group that you come into their circle, they'll be better off as well because we're advancing civilization. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be taking dominion. We're not supposed to be sitting back waiting for this to respond to things. You're supposed to be creating opportunities. Well, and you're talking about thinking causes the creation. I mean, that's what we're doing when we're thinking. And right. then you take action on that. You don't just stop that at the thinking process. You're there taking action on so many things. When I read about you on the internet, Wikipedia even, all these things that you've done, all the different <laughs> organizations. Um, well, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to do my part to bring the best of the best of the best out of every person that I'm with and bring the best of the best of the best out of myself so that we can help. Because that's the primary reason we're here is to help each other get to the next level, achieve what we need to achieve, accomplish the goals that we, 
we know we're supposed to accomplish. What happens, Lynn, I think is that some people think that these fleeting thoughts that come in their mind about doing things are just fleeting thoughts. In reality, they're creative power. It's creative power. It, is, it comes as a fleeting thought. You can either let it go or you can pull it in and you can look at it face to face. And as scary as it is to think that you might have to do that, <laughs> when you do it, you're going to find, when you go to do it, you're going to find everything you need to, to get it done is already around you and you just need to walk in it. <laughs> and, and you remind me of one of the masterminds that I'm in. And I know I've played small most of my life. I've done things and I've played small. And one of my mentors in this mastermind challenged me, you know, because I think, well, who am I to do this? And he challenged me. He says, who are you not to share your gifts? Right. How can you hold that back? Okay, so I'm starting to tear up on this. But playing bigger, you know, and who are we that we think we can't or shouldn't or won't share our gifts with people? Right. And that's just, that's what you're doing. You're playing bigger and bigger and bigger. And I love to see that. Oh, that's my goal. I know when I got married, <laughs> I usually have, I got married. So I usually have like a $20,000 American Express bill every month because I'm always doing something, right? I'm mm -hmm. always trying something, doing this, doing that. So my husband said, how are you going to pay that bill? I said, I don't know. He said, you, where are you going to get $20,000 from? I said, I said, money just comes, you know, I, mm -hmm. I can't explain it. Money just comes to me. What I need comes to me. And he looked at me, he said, well, I work for my money. So in other words, don't be asking me for my money. Why are you trying to get these $20,000 bills, right? That's what he said. But now he no longer says that because he also had realized that the th money that we need comes to us. We mm -hmm. just got to think bigger. The resources that we need, the people we need to come into our life to help us get there. You got to grab those fleeting thoughts when they come. They got to realize they coming not only to you, but to other people too. Somebody's going to grab it. Mm -hmm. and somebody's going to work with that thought until it becomes, becomes into a creation. Everything we look at, every chair, every pencil, every lamp, every table, every piece of clothing was first in somebody's mind as a fleeting thought. And they brought it back. They didn't let it fly away. They brought it back and they thought it through to creation. They decided, decided okay, I can do this. I can put this here. And then somebody knocked on the door and had the other part. Somebody called and had the other part. And before they knew it, they was able to put all those pieces together. And that fleeting thought, which people would have just brushed off, you have now created. Yeah, so why not you, right? Right, why not you? Well, Dr. Pat, what surprises you the most about your life when you look back over it? Well, the fact that I even made it here. Mm. I didn't think I would, I didn't think I would live to be 21. I, I just didn't think I would mm. be 21. And the fact that I'm 62 and, and I'm still here and I've gone as far as I have in, in school and, and in business and, um, and in the work I, I do for society, mm. it's amazing to me. It's shocking to me because I never thought this would happen. I remember when I turned 30, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, I am 30? What? <laughs> well, and you just keep on going, don't you? Yeah. You got that infinite energy and you've got the source that feeds you too. So thank, <laughs> thankfully for that. Um, how about some tips for women about pushing the limits? Let's say you got four or five tips you can share with us. All right. Um, never be ashamed of your ambition. That's number one. Never be ashamed of your ambition. Never look at that as something you need to hide or 
hold back because when people realize you have ambition, a lot of times they will offer you things that they wouldn't otherwise offer you. So don't be, don't hope, don't hide your ambition. Whatever you have ambition for, say it, write it, talk about it, <laughs> you know, and so that what you need, you can attract what you need. If you're hiding it, you will not be able to attract the, the things that you need to be able to realize that ambition. I guess that's number one. Number two, I would say, never lose faith in yourself uh, because you have everything in you to become who you need to become. Everything that you need is in you already. It's just, you just have to search it out. You got to dig it out. It's just like a, uh, a cat, a butterfly. He, when he, when a butterfly lays the eggs on the leaf, everything that needs, that egg needs to become a butterfly is inside that tiny little egg. So, so yeah, sure. It comes to be because of caterpillar and it gets to be a fat, juicy caterpillar and you know, all this is going on, but reality is still a butterfly. So never lose faith in the fact that you are going to be, or you can become who you say you are, who you feel inside that you are. Um, so I would say, um, ambition, never uh, hide your ambition. Don't lose your faith and never be afraid to look at yourself as for who you are. I don't care what weaknesses you have. Don't ignore them. Look at them. Realize that that's a weakness that you have. That's something that's holding you back, that's keeping you from being able to, to fulfill your, your purpose in life. And, and then start talking to yourself about it. Because nobody's coming to talk to you about it because you won't show it to anybody else without it just happening to spill out, right? <laughs> People just happen to see it, right? So you have to deal with your own weaknesses. You have to take that quiet time and look at yourself. And not see yourself as being ugly. Oh, I'm ugly. I'm this. I'm. I'm not uh, compassionate enough. I'm proud. And don't look at yourself like that. You see the pride, but that don't mean you are the pride. Because I am who I say I am. Now these other things is going on. They're not going to stay with me. They're not who I am, right? Because <laughs> I know who I am, <laughs> and I am not those things. But I see them. I recognize them, and I'm doing what I need to do to overthrow them. So, so when I see flaws in my character. I make sure I add the opposite of that to my affirmations because I read affirmations in the morning and I read affirmations at night. So I say, I am, uh, I am compassionate and I am empathic. You know, I am empathic. Uh, I have empathy for people. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm compassionate because if I see myself not being compassionate and, or, you know, I say, I am Patricia Scott, Mrs. Patricia Scott, because I may start not even thinking about my husband like I should. You know, he touched me, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want you to touch me. In reality, I do want him to touch me, but it's just that in my mind, I'm going through these challenges and I have to face them. If I don't face them, I never correct them, right? So don't be afraid to look at yourself. So ambition, uh, don't hide your ambition. Number two, uh, don't, don't ever lose your faith in yourself. And number three, uh, don't be afraid to look at yourself because when you look at yourself and you recognize the things that you have in you that, that need to go, uh, you can deal with them before somebody else has to see them and deal with them, right? I would never want my husband to think I don't want to touch him to touch me. I love my husband. I want him to touch me, right? <laughs> so I have to make sure that I make him know that. Uh, so let me see, what else? Uh, I would say to women that need to push the limits, oh, a major thing, those fleeting thoughts, they mean something. Oh, yes. Those fleeting thoughts, do not think those are just things that's going through your head. I don't care how outlandish it sounds. If that thing lands in your mind, even for a split second, it means you have the power to do it. And the resources you need are there. You just need to move in it. 
That's what you need to do. You need to move forward toward that dream. You need to write that thing down because it is real. It just maybe it's words, it's a picture, it's a thought, but in reality, it's a creation that's waiting to happen. It's waiting in the wings for you to bring that thing out to the world, the physical world. And you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. So do not ignore fleeting thoughts. And lastly, don't ignore your instincts. You have instincts about something, don't cast them off and say, well, it's just me thinking that. You're thinking it for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we know people are not right for us. We know that mm-hmm. we don't need to be around that person because instinctually we know it. We just haven't accepted it yet. And as uh, one writer said, he said, uh, you're gonna, whatever you're willing to tolerate, that's what you're going to live with. Yeah. Right? So you don't want to tolerate things that uh, people who are taken away from you and don't think, oh, it's going to get better. Follow mm-hmm. your instincts. Your instincts will warn you and they will help you make the right decision. So those are my five things. Those are fabulous, Dr. Pat. Thank you. And I know when we tolerate things, we're teaching people how to, how to treat us, right? Right. So why would we tolerate the things that aren't serving us? Tell people how they can contact you. So you can go to Dr. Pat or drpat.net, which is drpat.net. They can go there. They can find me on Instagram at rise with Dr. Pat, rise with Dr. Pat, rise with Dr. Pat. That's on Instagram. I post a lot on Instagram when I'm doing free classes, like the one I'm doing now about the guardians of mediocrity and why we must defeat them. Um, that's, I post that on, on Instagram. So people, they go there for that. Um, the website is for like, people want to sign up for weekly tips or if I'm doing some kind of, like when I do my course and open it up to everybody, it's probably going to be announced on the website and on, uh, on Instagram, but largely on the website. So if people sign up for your tips on the drpat.net, will they get notice that you're opening those courses? Yes, they will. The newsletter too, it's a newsletter as well. Before we close this out, Dr. Pat, is there anything else that you'd care to share with us today? Well, I, I guess uh, you, you pulled a lot out of me today, man. <laughs> you pulled a whole I mean, lot out of me. <laughs> like we said before we started recording, we could probably go on for three days with this conversation. I would yeah. love to do that, but any final words today? Well, I just want people to have faith and confidence and know that you have purpose. You, you, you're here for a reason. Miles Monroe said, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but it's a life without purpose. Mm. So rise to purpose. Rise to purpose. <laughs> yep, rise up to purpose. <laughs> well, and I was looking at some of the quotes that you have. Um, you said our mindset determines the boundaries of our reality, right? right. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things you said on the website, um, your credo is to always believe that change is possible if we're willing to go within. Right. You have such words of wisdom. And Dr. Pat, thank you for sharing that today. For those who are listening today, we've had just an amazing interview with um, Dr. Pat Van Pelt, who is also a state senator in Illinois, an amazing woman who has come from a, a poor, a single parent home with seven siblings living in Cabrini Green. She's lived in Chicago all her life. Mm-hmm. And to see where she's come today not that she's just got the doctorate and all this education and is a state senator, but that she's helping people with all of this. And 
and that's her gift, I'm sure, is helping people all over the world, starting with Chicago and building out all over the world to help people find their purpose, rise to their purpose, as she said. Yes. So thank you for joining us today. I'm Lynn Murphy, your host. This has been another episode of Women Who Push the Limits. Share this out. You know there are people, especially women, who would benefit so much from hearing what Dr. Pattis had to say today. So thank you for spending your time with us today. And remember to tune in next time for our next interview. And in the meantime, remember this, you find your limits by pushing them. So keep pushing. Thank you for tuning in today. Please like, subscribe, write a review, and tell your friends and family about this podcast. Don't be shy about sharing this episode with anyone you think would enjoy it. And if you want more information about this podcast and about this amazing project, go to womenwhopushthelimits.com. That's womenwhopushthelimits.com. Tune in next time for another amazing interview with an inspiring woman who truly pushes the limits. <laughs>